Emily, I couldn't stop smiling as you read that scripture. I'm grateful to be back in the pulpit this week and next as we talk about Christian hope. Let's pray before we start. Oh God, we ask that you would be present in this place this morning that you would quiet our minds and our hearts to hear from you and your scriptures. We ask God that you would teach us something of hope today. Amen. In the third book of the Harry Potter series, The Prisoner of Azkaban, we are introduced to the guards of Azkaban, which is the wizard prison. The guards are what is called Dementors. For those who haven't joined the worldwide sensation that is Harry Potter, Dementors are these dark, cloaked creatures that drain hope from you. The creatures are obviously make-believe in these fictional books, but J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter, talks about how she came up with the idea of Dementors as she struggled with her own Depression. Listen to how Dementors are described in the book by one of the characters, Professor Lupin. Dementors are among the foulest creatures that walk the earth. They, they infest the darkest, filthiest places. They glory in decay and despair. They drain hope, peace, and happiness out of the air. Even humans feel them though they can't see them. Get too near a Dementor and every good feeling, every happy memory will be sucked right out of you. If it can, a Dementor will feed on you long enough to reduce you to something like itself, soulless and evil. You'll be left with nothing but the worst experiences of your life. You see, for J.K. Rowling, these Dementors that she wrote about in these books represented a symbol for her, her own very real despair. Rowling also talks about how writing the Harry Potter books helped shape her Christian faith. You can see the theme of hope throughout them. But as we talk about Christian hope these next two weeks, we can't do so unless we take an honest look at the seemingly pervasive, ever-present reality of despair. Despair is the absence of hope. And when we live without hope, when nothing good seems to be on the horizon, we sink into despair. A recent study from Princeton University found a dramatic increase in the rates of death among middle-aged Americans, while other first world countries are improving in this area. Surprisingly, the causes of the increase in deaths were not the usual suspects for the last 15 years. It's not heart disease or cancer like you may think. Instead, mortality is on the rise because of higher levels of suicide. 
greater numbers of drug and alcohol overdoses, along with alcohol-related liver disease. People are increasingly taking their own lives or living with no regard for their own health and safety. Psychologists call these deaths of despair. We are seeing similar trends rising in depression with our adolescents. And we see this especially in the Pacific Northwest. I saw this especially when I worked at Seattle Pacific University where our counseling center was the highest used by percentage in the entire country. And here is the painful truth. There are real reasons that cause despair. We are every day bombarded with news nonstop of scandal and terror and chaos, with a technology and cultural trends that keep pushing us and moving us farther and farther away from each other. We are as lonely today as we have ever been as a people. And I just read this last week that part of Antarctica is melting. That's kind of a bummer, right? The poor penguins, Becca's thinking. We sink into despair when it seems like nothing good is on the horizon. Perhaps you know what that feels like. And on top of all of this, we each face the impending reality of death. It was Ernest Hemingway that said, if all stories are continued far enough, they eventually end in death. The fear of death can lead to a lifetime of avoiding the important questions in life such as purpose and meaning. We see in our culture people are doing everything they can to keep death away, keep it off our mind. Amusement and distractions have become a lifestyle. And the absoluteness of death seems to cast a dreary cloud over every human life. How can we hope if all stories ultimately end in death? But there is one story where that's not the case. There are among those in the Corinthian church who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. In this letter that our passage is from, Paul spends the majority of his time addressing a number of issues within the Corinthian church. Sexual immorality, disputes among believers, problems with Lord's Supper and communion, but Paul saves the most important, the very most important issue for last. In, in chapter 15 of this letter, Paul says, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? 
We know that this is the most important issue for Paul because it's at the very foundation of the gospel. In verse one of chapter 15, we read, now I remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news, the gospel that I proclaimed to you, which in turn you received, through which you are also being saved, if you hold firmly to the message I proclaimed to you. In verse three through five, for I handed on to you that which is of first importance, what in turn I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and he appeared to Caiaphas, then to the twelve. Scholars actually believe that Paul is quoting one of the earliest creeds within the church. Possibly written before the gospel accounts, absolutely written before the gospel accounts, possibly written before all the letters and anything else. This creed that Paul is quoting is the core of what they communicated with the gospel. This is how they passed on the true message of Jesus. Paul says, for I handed on to you that which was given to me. And within this creed, we find that the gospel is intimately tied to the resurrection. He died for our sins, the ancient words say. He was buried, and on the third day he raised, he was rose from the dead. This, Paul says, is the gospel that saves But believe it or not, the idea of someone coming back to life after they die was as absurd in the first century as it is today. We don't like, with our post-enlightenment scientific minds, we have a hard time comprehending resurrection when you think of biological science. Likewise, the dualistic mind of the ancient Greek, along with many in the uh, Jewish world for that matter, scoffed at the idea of the resurrection. But for Paul and for us, resurrection cannot be separated from the Christian faith. Our faith in Jesus and our hope in his future are tied together. And like it or not, folks, Jesus wasn't just a good teacher or a nice guy. His message was apocalyptic. Jesus' teaching and words had to do with the end of this world as we know it and a new world that God is ushering in. This was his teaching and his message. And as a church, we gather every single Sunday because 2,000 years ago, Jesus came back to life. And a bunch of people saw this happen. Paul says the risen Jesus appeared to Caiaphas, then the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died, Paul says. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, Paul says, Jesus appeared to me. 
The bodily resurrection of Jesus is what ignited the beginning of the Christian movement. And Paul is saying that there are many people who saw the risen Jesus, many of whom are still alive. If the resurrection were a fabrication or a lie, why on earth would Paul name witnesses who were still living as he writes this? Remember, this was the Roman world. These cities were no longer completely isolated. With the sophistication of Roman infrastructure and the elaborate trade route through the Mediterranean Sea, the world was becoming smaller. Communication and travel made it quite possible for Paul's audience to test the validity of his statements. And why would Paul, a once known enemy of the church, completely change the trajectory of his life, become a leader within the church, and risk everything for Jesus? It's because he saw the risen Lord too. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul famously talks about the quality of his life. Listen to this. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was drift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness and at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters in toil and hardship through many a sleepless nights, hungry, thirsty, without food, cold, and naked. Paul's life was terrible. Are you kidding me? You read that and you're like, why would you do this, Paul? 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If there is no God's future, then what's the point? Let's just have a party. But Paul serves. He endures all of that because he saw the risen Jesus. The disciples gave up their lives, not for something that they thought was fake, but because they saw the risen Jesus. Paul says there is a resurrection of the dead, and we know this because God has raised Jesus from the dead as a first fruits of what will happen to all of us. First fruits from verse 20, as you can imagine, is a farming term. During the harvest, the first fruits were the agricultural produce that came at the beginning of the harvest. The resurrection of Jesus is the first fruits of what will occur to all who have faith in Jesus at the harvest of God. Of course, there are a number of common objections people will give in questioning the resurrection of Jesus, in questioning the validity of our faith and our hope. Some suggest that Jesus really didn't die. Well, he was only up on the cross for six hours according to Mark's gospel. Well, as N.T. Wright says, Roman soldiers knew exactly how to kill people. 
And no disciple would have been fooled by a beat up Jesus into thinking that he defeated death and inaugurated the kingdom of God. Others might say, well, Jesus only appeared to the people who believed in him. Actually, the accounts uh, make it quite clear that Thomas and Paul do not belong in this category. In fact, none of Jesus' disciples believed after he died. They all went into despair. It was the women who first noticed and brought the hope. Amen. (laughs) And others say that lots of people have visions of someone they love right after they've just died. Could this have been what happened to the disciples? Actually, the disciples had words for things like that. They would have said, it's an angel. It's a spirit. It's a ghost. They had done that before, remember, on the lake? They would not have said, he has been raised from the dead. If you look at this, historically speaking, something happened 2,000 years ago that changed everything. I believe that Jesus came back to life. And what is more than that, I believe that he offers forgiveness for sins, that he taught us how to treat one another, and that he has a future in store for each and every one of us. Even in a world where there is sin, dysfunction, and despair, There is always hope with Jesus Christ. Hope for what he can do in the present, absolutely. But especially hope for what God will do in the future. Do you know why you can trust God? Why you can put your hope in God? because he always keeps his promises. If God has made a promise, friends, he is sure to keep it. Every time God is revealed in scripture, he is being shown to be faithful and to keep his promises. He told Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to bless you and give you children. Your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. Abraham was a hundred. Sarah was 90. That's not possible. God says, doesn't matter. I keep my promises. God said to Moses, I'm going to rescue Israel and give you land and a future. But what about Pharaoh, his powerhouse army? What about the desert and the sea and the Canaanites? What are we going to do? That's not possible, God. God keeps his promises. You ever notice that the Jewish people, despite numerous attempts at their genocide and annihilation, are still around? You're talking about one of the most ancient people groups in the history of human existence, and they're still here. God keeps his promises. Jesus says, I am going to die, but three days later, I will be raised from the dead. Well, that's not possible. People don't come back to life. God says, I keep my promises. 
Jesus says, I will be with you until the end of the age. Jesus says, though you die, if you have faith, there is life in me. I go to make a place for you. When God makes a promise, he keeps it, even in death. Whenever we take communion, whenever we baptize someone, whenever we go to a Christian wedding or a funeral, we are reminded of the promises of God, that God is faithful and that it is his nature to be so. God says, I love you, I forgive you, and I'm going to save you because that's what I do. And I've promised it and I've sealed it in my blood and I've guaranteed it in my resurrection. Christian hope is not wishful thinking. It is faith in the promises of God, which we can trust because God has a perfect track record in keeping his promises. Christian hope does not despair, but hope rises above the pain, the disease, and the death, and the dysfunction of the present moment to see that somehow, some way, God is transforming all of this into a future glory. And that's what God wants us to get and to understand. It's not necessarily all about what's going on in this moment, but there's a grander story happening. And we have to keep that in the back of our minds every single day. So the question today, do you have any hope? Where do you find your hope? Hope is like faith. It can start small, like a mustard seed, but it grows. And it can change the world. Real hope does not disengage from the present as if you get some kind of free ticket to heaven and so you're good. No. Real hope moves us towards love and action. Christian hope is not heaven. Our Christian hope is Jesus who has a present, a past, and a future. And by faith, friends, It is by faith, not by works or anything you have done, but by faith and by grace, we are bound into that future with Jesus. God loves you so much that he wants to spend eternity with you. Do you understand that? Have you ever had a moment in your life that you wish would never end? Sometime you're sitting on the beach and you're watching the sunset and it's just one of those moments where, oh, I wish this wouldn't end. You're sitting with your best friends having dinner and laughing and and you just stop and think, I wish this moment would never end. For me, it's whenever I get to hold my daughter Nora. I put her in my arms and she hugs me and she just lays her head 
on my chest, and I think to myself, I do not want this moment to end. I think it's in times like that we understand the love of God. This idea that God doesn't want you to end. That he loves you that much to want these moments to persist in eternity. Irenaeus said, the glory of God is a human fully alive. God wants humans to be fully alive for eternity. Which means there's something about this world that God is trying to teach us and show us. And it is only through hope that you start to understand what this life is all about. God's love is pleading with you to enter into joyful, loving eternity. If it sounds too good to be true, it's because it is true. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's pray. Oh God, how grateful we are of the gospel. Lord, that it's, it's not about life ending or being afraid of death, but it's about relationship and love. Love that is so big, that is so powerful, that it pulls us into eternity with you, God. Help us to understand that love, to be changed by it, and to become the people of hope in this world that desperately needs it. So God, may the hope within our hearts grow. And may by your Holy Spirit, may we be changed as we seek to be your people of hope. And God, as we prepare for these tithes and offerings, we ask that you would take these resources and put it into a ministry of hope as your kingdom grows. Amen.